Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest and most prestigious network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Peter Waltz. Lately on Employment Matters, we've been focusing on specific issues affecting businesses and organizations by the spread of the virus. And in addition to touching on important stories and events that are happening all around the globe, we're also fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers that practice on the ground in these jurisdictions, and we can get valuable insights on how they're helping their clients move through these difficult times. On today's program, we're going to talk about the movement of people around the world, how workers traveling international are getting from where they are to where they need to be. So the topic is immigration, which has been, at least here in the U.S., a really hot topic for quite a while, maybe more than ever but it's really on everyone's agenda now that works with international employees, vendors, and customers. Joining us today on the program is Todd Patopoulos from Butler Snow in Tennessee. For those listening in outside the U.S., I'm sure you're aware that immigration here is a federal issue, not governed by states, so a practitioner like Todd and his other colleagues from the ELA, they can address all U.S.-related topics as it relates to this important area of law. Let's welcome our friend from Tennessee, Todd. Welcome to the program. How are everything down there today? Things are great considering the circumstances. I hope all is well for you, Peter. Things are great. I'm in uh, Arizona heading east, so I'll be driving through uh, the lovely state of Tennessee here in another week. So I'm not going to get out of the car, but I will wave to you through the window so that we there can you go. good, safe social distancing. Let's touch base on really what's going on. Obviously, businesses are, are facing lots of challenges and how they're going to move forward with the business, if they're going to move forward with the business. But one of the areas we haven't really focused on on the podcast is what are the specific issues related to visa-sponsored employees and how should an employer manage that? What do they need to consider? Can you fill us in on that? Absolutely. I think, well, the first thing that employers need to recognize and consider is the need to associate immigration counsel, their, their business immigration counsel, when they're making decisions on furloughs, layoffs, terminations, and that sort of thing, because there are specific issues that relate to sponsored visa sponsored individuals that may not be on the radar of the HR staff and employer, uh, and it may not be on the radar of their employment council. So that's something that I think that HR folks at, at, our, at our clients have to be attuned to, to make sure that they're issue spotting. If, if they're sponsoring international talent, particularly degreed level international talent, then this is a, a significant consideration. So tech firms, engineering firms, I deal a lot, Peter, in, in the healthcare sector. So a lot of physicians, allied health professionals are, are sponsored individuals. And interestingly, you know, in the States, almost 30% of our physicians are international. International, wow. uh, yeah, international visitors who come here for, for fellowships, uh, advanced medical training, and then decide to stay in the U.S. and engage in private practice. So all of these employers uh, need to be really attuned to that because there are specific requirements that, that flow to the sponsorship. And most notably is the issue of, of pay. You know, which is a, a very basic issue, but but it's one that's often over uh, overlooked by sponsoring employers. So when you sponsor an H-1B, and, 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 I, and forgive all the, the alphabet soup, Peter, that I live in as an immigration lawyer, uh, but the H-1B is, is a very popular and, and commonly used employment-based visa that's for what, what we call a specialty occupation 
right. workers. These are these are degree level people. These are your physicians, your engineers, and so forth. So so your your tech people and, and that sort of thing would, would be in the H one B space. And it's been in the news a lot uh, leading up to this uh, to this crisis because it has been a, a very popular and frankly oversubscribed. Uh, visa category, uh, so much so that, that the government runs out of these visas every single year. But one of the requirements to sponsor an individual in an H-1B visa, so if, you, if you're a, an engineering firm and you have a, a, an international engineer you want to bring on board, is you have to show to the U.S. Department of Labor that in doing so, you're not going to be you know, having the unintended consequence of, of lowering wages in the area for uh, for U.S. workers, and so there's there's a requirement that that U.S. employers pay what's called the prevailing wage, which is a wage determined by the U.S. Department of Labor for a specific occupation in a specific location. And so, and that, so that wage is the same regardless of whether you're an immigrant or a, or a visa-sponsored employee or a U.S. employee. R- roughly, yeah, that's that's accurate. So the so the government, the Department of Labor's got a um, basically a large catalog of wages for different types of occupation and different levels within each occupation um, that it, it it uses to determine what the wage rate might be, say in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, for an engineer and uh, and to sponsor an engineer, the the firm in Arizona that's seeking to sponsor that individual would have to attest to the federal government that they're willing and able to pay that individual at least that rate. And, and so that, that becomes kind of the baseline or the, or the lowest level. And it, and it becomes really the foundation upon which the visa application is, is built so that the employer cannot drop the wage below that. So translate that to an employer looking at laying off, let's say, 50, 50 engineers. And let's say 10 of them happen to be H-1Bs. The problem that employers run into, Peter, is the H-1Bs have this, uh, this baseline or, or this foundation that they attested to the government that would be willing to pay. And, and that, that creates a real problem for the employer who you know, wants to, to obviously save wages for U.S. workers, but they've, they've told the government they're willing to pay this rate for that employee whether it's a full-time person or a part-time person. And so that, that makes it more complicated for the employer to, to simply lay someone off as opposed to terminating someone. Now, now if you're going to terminate H-1B, frankly, that's, that's not too complicated. All the, the employer would need to do is notify immigration services that they're no longer sponsoring that individual. But for laying somebody off temporarily, it does create a, a problem for the employer because of this attestation requirement. This you know, they, They've sworn under oath that they are going to pay at this level for that employee for this period of time. Got it. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about the travel component of immigration. I mean, right now it's limited for everybody. I'm going to be driving east and we're driving. We're not flying, which I imagine a lot of people aren't. So how are our international workers, particularly, what additional travel risks do they have when trying to travel during this time? Yeah, that's a great question. For our international guests here in the U.S., they have to have specific documentation in their passport in order to re-enter the country, and that's commonly called a visa stamp. So what, what happens is, is 
an international visitor. Let, let's take this engineering hypothetical. So let's have an engineer from India, for example, that's employed by a U.S. firm in, in Arizona. And I'm picking on Arizona because that's where you are currently. And uh, in, in order to get into the country, that Indian engineer would have to go to a U.S. consulate and have an interview and present their passport and then get a visa stamp in their passport. Uh, so a U.S. consulate is an office within the U.S. embassy, and it's run by the U.S. Department of State. And what, you know, what they do is they, they run background checks to make sure that this individual doesn't have any issues, that it's safe for the, for the country for this individual to come in. And after completing that process, the Indian engineer would surrender his or her passport and then after a few days, once this vetting process, this, this intense background screening process is done, the passport would be returned to the uh, Indian national. And one of the blank pages in the passport would now contain a visa stamp. So the entire page would be occupied by uh, documentation from the U.S. Department of State which is then when, when that individual presents at the border back into the U.S., they would have this visa stamp that they show to the Customs and Border Patrol officer in order to get into the U.S. So for individuals who are outside of the U.S., internationals that are outside the U.S. that already have a visa stamp in their passport, they can come back into the States provided they're not coming from one of these countries that's, that's, been, that's been blocked and they, they comply with any federal or local quarantining obligations. But for individuals who don't have a current visa stamp in their passport, they can't get one because all the U.S. consulates are canceling these appointments for foreign nationals to come in and have uh, visa interviews. Now, now Peter, you, you'll recall I mentioned at the beginning of the call that approximately 30% of our, our, our physician workforce is comprised of, of international physicians. And what the, what the government did at the end of last week is they said, look, although we have this you know, kind of overall ban or, or prohibition on, on issuing new visa stamps for internationals, we're going to make an exception for healthcare workers during this crisis. So right now, healthcare workers are able to make appointments at U.S. consulates to get their visa stamps and come into the country. Great. So I guess the, the rule of thumb is if you don't need to travel, don't travel. And if you're going to leave the country without a visa stamp, you're probably not going to get back here anytime soon. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and, and for those, you know, a lot of travel may have occurred for international workers prior to this crisis really coming online in the last couple of weeks. And, and the employers could be looking at a situation where their international employee may be unfortunately stuck out of the country for an, an extended and unknown period of time. Wow. So these changes are amazing. I mean, we're seeing changes every day across the labor and employment spectrum. The Department of Labor, other agencies are making huge changes impacting employers. To kind of wrap up here, what are some of the major immigration law changes that are affecting employers? Peter, we, we've had some good and some bad uh, changes. Of course, you know, the, the, the Trump administration, not to be political, but a, a big part of their platform has been to constrict business immigration in, in particular and, and make that a little bit more challenging. And that's, that's been true in, in, in this context with the current crisis. So the, the government recently suspended a process called premium processing, which is a, a means for 
employers to try and, and increase the speed in which visa cases are handled, uh, particularly in the employment context. So what, what premium processing does is it allows employers to pay a, an additional fee of $1,440 to the federal government in exchange for which the government is to act on uh, an employment-based visa case within 15 business days as opposed to usually between two and four months. And so for critical need employees that are trying to be onboarded immediately, that creates a real problem. So for example, for our physicians, you know, a number of physicians around the country who are here, inter international physicians who are here completing advanced medical training and fellowships and so forth, allow those fellowships, Peter, end June 30. And, uh, and so they are all in the process now of trying to transfer from their training visa, which does not allow for private practice, into the H-1B visa that would allow for them to, to commence uh, private practice and commence treating patients. Well, they got thrown a curveball a couple weeks ago when the premium processing was taken offline. And, and so now employers are looking at a, a longer waiting period in order to, to onboard that talent. There is a, you know, for certain categories, there is a discretionary exception that, that's created that allows for humanitarian purposes for the U.S. CIS to expedite cases, and we're hopeful that they will exercise that discretion, particularly in the healthcare context, but for also for other, you know, for engineering or other uh, high-tech positions that may be touching on trying to find solutions to the current crisis that, that the government may act in a discretionary fashion to speed along those cases to get folks authorized to lawfully work in the U.S. There have been a few other changes that would affect all employers in terms of I-9 process. You know, we're all working remotely, or a lot of us are, and uh, in recognition of that, the U.S. has allowed for employers to get away from having to personally view and meet with employees who are, who are trying to onboard. So for, for those employers who are, who are bringing new folks in. So with regard to I-9 compliance, the rules have been somewhat relaxed for employers, uh, recognizing that we're all, or the majority of us are now working remotely and cannot physically meet with the onboarded employees. They are relaxing the rules there to allow for I-9 verification to be done remotely. So documents can be scanned or, or faxed, or, you know, something like that, so that, that employers don't have to view the, the identification documents and work authorization documents in person. They can rely on uh, electronically transmitted or otherwise transmitted documents to begin and complete the I-9 process to onboard new employees with the caveat that once people start coming back to work, they would have to meet with that employee and see the original document and, and verify that. So, so employers can do that. They can just note COVID-19 on the I-9 form when they're completing the process to account for the fact that they engaged in this remote onboarding and then retain a copy of what they were looking at. Good. So lots going on there, folks. Todd, I hope uh, you and your family are safe in, in Tennessee. Uh, as I drive by, I will wave, as I said, but I probably will just point to you through the window. So thanks again for being there and uh, helping us out through some of these difficult challenges. Great. Thank you, Peter. And, and thanks for keeping us all connected. So the takeaway, folks, are if you're in-house counsel and you don't have immigration counsel that is advising you on international work, please come to the ELA. Go to ela.law, search under immigration. You'll find a lot of our immigration attorneys there, Todd being one of the leaders of our group. So hopefully you'll find those. 
If you'd like to connect with Todd at Butler Snow in Tennessee or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Just go to the big find a lawyer button in the middle of the page, click on it, drop down the box, choose the state or the country you're interested in, and you'll connect with them. You can also receive updates and invitations to our webinars, download white papers or on-demand content, or access the ELA's exclusive employer handbook. Also join us later this week for a live broadcast from Todd and his other immigration attorneys called Managing a Global Workforce During the Pandemic, a U.S. Immigration Law Perspective. To get access to this webinar, simply go to the website, ela.law forward slash webinars, or look for the link in the liner notes for this podcast. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.